Welcome to Ted In Your Head, the podcast where we grab a hold of our minds and ask, what's happening here? Where we answer the question, what can I do with this? And where we seek to powerfully decide, this is what I want to create. This is your host, Ted Moreno. I'm a certified hypnotherapist, a success performance coach, and a fellow explorer of what is possible. Come on, let's check it out. Greetings and welcome. Today we're going to have number three of the Ted In Your Head interview series. In this series, I'll be interviewing experts on diet and nutrition, alternative health modalities, and physical and mental wellness. Remember, Ted In Your Head is all about grabbing a hold of your mind and asking, what's happening here? What can I do with this? And what can I create? I believe that to tap into the power of our minds to explore what is possible, we need to have a healthy mind. And my guest today is Dr. Roxanne Prelutsky. Dr. Roxanne Prelutsky, also known as Dr. Rox, is a clinical psychologist who treats individuals, couples, and families in her private practice in Pasadena, California. She has vast clinical experiences from working with the OCD population at UCLA Neuropsychiatric Institute, in patients, in psychiatric hospital environments, homeless populations, seniors, and she ran a treatment center as a director for addiction and mental health, works with college students, among others. Dr. Rock specializes in several areas, including trauma, anxiety, and mood spectrum disorders, OCD, addiction, and impulse control. Dr. Rock also does research and works clinically with geriatric stress, as well as caregiving stress related to caring for seniors, and that's a big thing these days. Mm-hmm. Services she provides also includes conducting disability evaluations, writing letters and reports for people who require special accommodations in life, school, or work, and adult testing for cognitive impairment and ADHD. Today, we're going to focus on her work with trauma, which is an area that Dr. Rox is very passionate about. Welcome, Dr. Roxanne. How are you? Thank you very much, Ted. It's good to be here. I'm good. Thank you so much for for coming and talking to us about uh, trauma. As a hypnotherapist, I do work with people that have had traumatic experiences, but by the time they come to me, they, they usually have some resolution by going to a person with you. So if I get somebody that I feel is out of my scope, I'll definitely refer them to you. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to ask you some questions about trauma and really take advantage of your expertise in this area. So the first question I wanted to ask you is, what is trauma? What is it exactly? You know, in everyday language, we can look at trauma as a highly stressful event. But the key to understanding trauma is that it really refers to extreme stress that overwhelms a person's ability to cope. And that stress can be experienced directly or indirectly. Typically, when we think of different types of trauma, child abuse, rape, criminal assault, Uh, serious car accidents, natural disasters, and combat, as well as genocide come to mind. Genocide can even have been experienced by family members, and it would have been passed on to the later generations, which would have um, possibly resulted in a vicarious PTSD or post-traumatic stress, which I'll get into later. But when we think of trauma, it's not a very simple thing, and it definitely impacts people in their later life, especially when it begins in childhood. Wow. So I'm wondering, does everyone that experiences something bad or does everyone that experiences like overwhelming stress, 
do does everyone that experiences that have trauma? It's such a good question. You know, just off the bat, you would think yes, right? A person is raped and they automatically experience post-traumatic stress disorder. But it's not the case. We have individual differences that definitely distinguish us from one another, including how we experience a very difficult event, a stress. Some of us might experience one event as stressful, whereas others might not experience it as stressful. So uh, when we think specifically about trauma with regard to diagnostics, and uh, being a clinical psychologist, I use the DSM-5 right now, Diagnostic and Statistical Manual, 5th edition. And just to get into the definition as far as diagnostic criteria goes, um, on, in a general way, I can say a person who's diagnosed with PTSD would have experienced direct exposure, witnessed or had firsthand repeated or extreme exposure to aversive details of an event. That's kind of a mouthful, but when we think about it behaviorally, we consider four basic areas. Does this person re-experience their trauma? In other words, do they experience nightmares, flashbacks, intrusive thoughts, or memories about that trauma? Do they experience avoidance? Do they have triggers? So if a person was stuck in the 9-11 elevator, and they barely got out, um, they might, if they develop PTSD, they might be avoiding elevators. They might associate 9-11 with being in an elevator or the smell of being in there that day or being in an elevator. So this is definitely, it could be a trigger in a case like that. Um, another area, the, a third area, that's a behavioral area that we look at for diagnosing PTSD, are negative cognitions and mood. So these are persistent and distorted sense of blame on self or others. And an example here could be like a child who was sexually abused and would blame themselves for it because possibly they experienced pleasure in doing it. When I talk about pleasure, I'm referring to someone who might have mislabeled what their body experienced as pleasure. And that would be a dis distorted or persistent sense of blaming, possibly on self. Um, another example of negative cognitions and mood would be depression or anhedonia, which means loss of interest in daily activity. So anything that really relates to that sadness, depression, or distorted sense of self. And a fourth area is really on arousal, which is fight or flight. You, Ted, would know about this because I know that being a hypnotherapist, you really look at you know when a person is activated, um, that subconscious mind is uh, you know in that fight or flight state, right? Absolutely. So when we look at PTSD, we look at it in a similar way, and the fight or flight is really when a person is triggered. For example, when they do smell that smell in the elevator, or they are around that elevator that reminded them of being in 9/11 they experienced uh, these uh, fight or flight response. So, for example, the fight could be um, an aggressive, uh, you know, outburst or maybe being self-destructive in that moment. Uh, a flight response would be trying to escape that situation, so that would be fleeing from it. Um, another example of this fight or flight, this arousal state, would be a hypervigilance. Um, and that is really just being overly vigilant, overly aroused when it comes to being around triggers of an event that reminds them of a trauma. Hmm. Well, that's definitely a mouthful. Mm -hmm. So let me ask you a question. Um, let's, let's bring it more down to an individual level. And I understand that 
whether somebody develops trauma is, is very subjective and depends mm-hmm. a lot on how they deal with challenges or what is fearful in their life, etc. But, uh, and you kind of answered my next question, but how would I know if I was suffering some kind of trauma? So you mentioned a couple of things like, you know, there's depression and the, and the fight or flight. And we all experience that to some degree. Um, but how would I know if I wasn't just depressed or if I wasn't just anxious? How would I know if I had if I was suffering from trauma and I needed to come see somebody like you, what, what would be the signs for me as, mm-hmm. as, a, as a you know patient? One would really be if a person remembers it consciously, of course, uh, re-experiencing the trauma during the day. So, for example, this person was in the 9-11 elevator. And just no matter what they do throughout their day, throughout their life, these images, these intrusive thoughts and images keep recurring to them. That would be an unhealthy response to a trauma. And because those intrusive thoughts are happening throughout a person's life, it oftentimes interferes with their life. It interferes with their ability to function. And in a case like that, when it does interfere with a person's ability to function, a person could definitely seek counseling to, um, you know, correct that. So there would be a certain sense of maybe being out of control or not being able to control my thoughts or or definitely being overwhelmed by a lot of these feelings. Absolutely. Being overwhelmed is one of the hallmarks of um, trauma and particularly uh, experiencing uh, PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder. Okay. So very, very interesting. And as a psychotherapist who specializes in in trauma how do you work with somebody that comes in and says wow you know i was you know i was in syria or i was in bosnia mm-hmm. herzegovina back then or you know i've been in iran or iraq or, or a veteran or somebody that's been raped i mean those are you know those are pretty serious things for anybody to go through how do you how do you help somebody in that area and that is the most important question when we think about treatment right um it depends on what they experienced and whether that experience was repeated or it was one time uh, when it, and when it was an experience. So, for example, was it experienced in childhood? Was it experienced just recently? Uh, and what is their foundation of life like? What are their coping skills like? Do they have strengths? Where do they draw strength from? I look at all these different um, individual characteristics to determine uh, what a person needs and how long it's going to take to help them. And so specifically responding to the treatment, um, some of the gold standard treatments when treating trauma include exposure therapy, which is a behavioral type of therapy. And I know in layman's terms, we think of flooding, right? So that would be exposing an individual to the very fear that they experience. So, for example, that person who's stuck in the elevator, we would eventually get them into an elevator, but that would be gradual. So, for example, we would start with using this exposure therapy model. We would start with a person um, imagining being in an elevator or looking at pictures of elevators. And we would look at what their physical body response would be on a level of one to 10, one being low, how high would their level of anxiety be? How high would that um, heart rate go? Or, you know, just these very subjective, measurable experiences in their body, I would look at that. And so in a treatment plan, I would really customize according to what they're experiencing, a very gradual, hierarchical treatment plan to eventually get them to step inside of an elevator. 
So a type of desensitization. Mm -hmm. That would be that systematic desensitization uh, combined with that exposure therapy. Um, And of course, when a person is retelling their trauma, this is an extremely important point. Um, There's been a lot of research now that is supporting that debriefing uh, a trauma or a traumatic incident could actually be damaging. In other words, when a person just has been through the 9-11 and reporters ask them what happened and they keep repeating it without a therapeutic response of cognitive restructuring, that can actually be damaging because they can they will be re-experiencing that event. It's sort of cementing in their belief systems, what they felt during that experience. And so that's why it's particularly important to work with a skilled professional who can provide that cognitive restructuring. So for example, I would not even immediately go into what happened. I would initially look at what are this person's coping skills? Does this person have a safe place? And from a sense of safety, I would begin to gradually address the trauma, the incident around the trauma, the triggers. So I have a very methodical and deliberate and safe way to address trauma. And even with my ways, when a person goes into treatment to address their PTSD, they can often expect to experience a raw sort of uncomfortable feeling in the initial part of their treatment, which will then be a very hopefully fulfilling experience for them to restore not only their original state of functioning, but to go above and beyond it. One element that I really always incorporate into my treatment is a humanistic element, which is I believe in human potential. I believe that each of us are here with certain gifts, and I really encourage my patients, number one, to identify those, those gifts. I help them identify those gifts and to use them, to draw strength from them, to um, substitute uh, the focus on the pain. I really encourage uh, people to see themselves as survivors as opposed to victims. When a person is re-victimized and re-victimized, you know, just as they are when they're experiencing those intrusive thoughts and those flashbacks, it's one thing. And people who experience that type of functioning often find themselves reenacting, not just in reference to a person's thoughts or experience of their trauma, but they would reenact their relationships to replicate those types of experiences. They would find themselves around those triggers. It's a kind of a complicated um, concept. When a person has experienced childhood sexual abuse, for example, the person, the victim in that case, would often experience the perpetrator as having power. And in that case, they do because they were abusing that person. But over time, in a very black and white way, that victim would then consider that their association of power would be with perpetrators in general. And they could find themselves reenacting these types of familiar but very destructive dynamics of finding themselves in abusive relationships where they themselves become the abuser or the perpetrator with that sense of power, or they get re-victimized. And so it's that all-or-nothing, back-and-forth type of destructive cycle that would come from being a victim in an in, in experience like a, a abuse or a trauma, whereas the the survivor 
would see themselves as moving past that. That was then and this is now. Back then, when I was in that particular case, in that particular abusive relationship, I had to survive. That's all I could do. But now I no longer need that reality to operate under. Now, as a survivor, I can move beyond that victim-perpetrator model, and I can be a healthy person, and I can marry someone or be with someone who's also healthy. Well, well, like you said, it's uh, not simple, mm-hmm. and um, sounds like there are many, many complexities and facets to this that, that need to be addressed. Um, so when you're working with somebody, you know, somebody comes to you and, and they probably spent a lot of time dealing with very heavy emotions and feelings and physical sensations. So I imagine when they come to you, they're looking for some kind of relief mm-hmm. and that probably doesn't happen very quickly. So what kind of results can somebody expect um, when they start seeing you? Uh, my goal is to be able to restore their functioning, uh, not to delete the traumatic event because we're not asking for amnesia here. However, to find meaning and you know be able to to survive it and to define themselves through their strength. One thing that I mentioned earlier about vicarious trauma, which I think is relevant here, is, for example, children of um, people who've experienced a genocide. So one one type of genocide that comes to mind is either uh, being a descendant of survivors of the Holocaust or of the Armenian genocide. And of course, there are many, so many other, unfortunately, genocides to draw from. But specifically with these, what might happen to a descendant or to an immediate child or grandchild of someone who's experienced that level of pain and who's very much trapped in that pain is that repeated cycle of powerlessness and the future becomes very bleak because they see the through the eyes of the powerlessness and so one goal would be to be able to move beyond that and just as in the example of the victim perpetrator so too here to be able to see that the future holds promise to be able to see through the eyes of a survivor, not a victim. Okay, got it. Um, so how long will it take? I, I know this is a difficult question to answer, but and I know instinctively that it depends upon the severity of the trauma and how long they've been dealing with it. But I'm sure that clients or patients come to you and they say, you know, how long is this going to take? And what is your response when they ask you that? Because they they really need some kind of relief. And what do you tell them? I would tell them, depending on what their situation is, and of course, if their trauma was repeated, how old it is, um, how many defenses they've built around it since they've experienced it, how well they remember it. So there are obviously different complicating factors. Um, If a person is uh, not acute in their condition. In other words, if they're not hospitalizable, if they're not actively suicidal or homicidal, however, they do experience just pure PTSD. I find that, and this is also backed by some of the research that I came across, that if I see a person twice per week uh, for a session of 60 to 90 minutes for about three months, that I can experience a dramatic shift Um, in terms of my treatment plan. And of course, the patient will um, see that dramatic shift in their functioning, most importantly. Um, And and again, if a person is suicidal or homicidal, um, 
you know, we would have certain things in place, uh, but they're not actively so. In other words, they don't have a plan, intent, or means. However, they do have suicidal thoughts. Mm. Uh, then I would really stick stick to that in this regular private practice model to twice a week, um, just like that for three months, and then I would taper down to once a week, and then once every other week, and then once a month until we really see that their state has been elevated. And, and then we see from there whether they need to continue treatment, whether they can discontinue. Okay. Well, that's, um, I mean, that's good to hear, like three months, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. uh, under the conditions that you stated. So um, briefly, since we're almost out of time here, mm -hmm. do you have any success stories? Uh, Absolutely. Thankfully. Um, one success for it story that comes to mind, uh, this woman it was higher functioning. She's a Hispanic older woman, probably in her, uh, well, not, not too much older, like mid-60s. And she came in after being in a um, car accident where she was a pedestrian and a bus ran her over and she, she made it out, thank goodness. And so she was unable to be around buses, around cars. She was staying indoors. She developed severe anxiety, anhedonia, which again means a loss of interest in her activities, just felt depressed. And so through my exposure therapy with her, through establishing a safe place, and through doing a little bit of the body work, you know, seeing where in her body she felt the stress, uh, the power to intensify that feeling and also reduce it. Um, on a once a week basis with her over the course of two months, I found that her symptoms significantly diminished to the point where she started out with an anxiety level 10 on a regular basis and she went down to a one or two or even to zero. And we were talking about actually going to the site and you know seeing that. So she made dr drastic and dramatic improvements. So um, the therapy combined with the um, healthy foundation of her life and her good life habits of being busy um, definitely all contributed to her prognosis of really restoring her functioning in a, in a healthy way. Uh, most of my patients are not you know, of this description, although I think it's important that our listeners here are probably, many of them are probably on the higher functioning end like that, and they might experience a trauma, you know, sometime in later life, and, and they would just want to get through it. So you can really anticipate some positive results there. But in a more chronic and persistent way, I can think about one patient um, who was um, had a very horrible, you know, experience. She was both physically, sexually, verbally abused by her mother. Um, throughout her childhood, she had a couple of older sisters, and she was also abused by them. And so she came in really in a state of high anxiety, suicidal thinking, um, very depressed, and, and severe chronic PTSD. And have, after having worked with her now for about a year, I see significant improvements in terms of her ability to socialize, um, her sleeping habits, her anxiety levels, the amount of flashbacks. Her PTSD has really significantly improved. Um, I cannot say that she's completely 100% because of her persistent chronic conditions. However, 
we are more in a maintenance stage, believe it or not, than in that initial crisis stage. And she is having fewer and fewer crises. Awesome. So that should really provide some hope for our listeners out there who may be experiencing some of this uh, trauma or some trauma symptoms. So if anybody out there hears this podcast and wants to get in touch with you, how can they do that? Well, uh, my email address is drpdrp at pasadenapsychologist.net. My office is located uh, um, across from Huntington Memorial Hospital in Pasadena. So it's on California and Raymond, on Raymond actually. And I look forward to meeting with anybody who's interested and could be a good fit for my practice. The phone number is 626-765-3518. 626-765-3518. And I'm Dr. Roxanne Prelutsky. Well, thank you, Dr. Rox. It's been very illuminating. And uh, I myself think that I probably need to study a little bit more about trauma because uh, there's just so much involved there. Um, and a few of my clients I've definitely sent to you and, and I, I know are still with you. Mm -hmm. So that's good to know that they're in very good hands. So thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me. Uh, it's always wonderful to hear about what you do. And for our listeners out there, if you uh, want to get in touch with Dr. Rocks, she just gave you some information, but you can always get in touch with me and I can connect you with her. So we hope you enjoyed today's podcast and thanks so much for listening. Thank Bye -bye you now. so much. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to TED In Your Head. This podcast has absolutely nothing to do with TED Talks, TEDx, or any other TED except me, Ted A. Moreno. Thanks to Dimitri Rosti for his help in producing this podcast. For more information about me and what I do, you can go to my website at tedmoreno.com. Please connect with me on Facebook, LinkedIn, YouTube, Google+, Pinterest, Tumblr, and Twitter. And finally, remember what T.S. Eliot said, We shall not cease from exploration, and the end of all our exploring will be to arrive where we started and know the place for the first time.